At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Matt Leiner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 342, coming to you on Thursday, October 31st. It is the lamest holiday of the year, but we are going to celebrate something else. USC's biggest game of the season, Saturday night, 5 p.m., primetime on Big Fox, USC and Oregon. We're going to preview it, give you our thoughts, our predictions, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is is 213-373-1USC. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is uh, that holiday that I can't stand. Uh, it's a holiday that I love. It's the second, I'm excited. The, the second worst holiday on the American calendar. I don't know. want to know what you think the first worst holiday is, because I think I know what it is, and it's you It's Thanksgiving. Are. Thanksgiving's oh. trash, yeah. Okay, so the best holiday is Thanksgiving. The second best holiday is Halloween. The, you were so wrong. By so the time, incredibly wrong. By the time the listeners are listening to this, I will be at my parents' house decking their front yard out with all sorts of Halloween decorations and uh, and and... Just stuff all over the place in preparation for the festivities tonight, wherein I will pull on a random like zombie mask and go out and try to scare little children, and it'll be wonderful. So, you know, you have a family tradition where your mother would make corn dogs. Yes. And hand corn dogs out to the to uh to you and your, your siblings, uh, because corn dogs were the perfect food to have on a Halloween because you're out and about. So you can carry a corn dog while you walk away down yeah. the street and trick or treat, right? So I thought that this was like a little tradition for, of your families that was like super cool. I drive by Sonic today. There's a big sign tomorrow, October 31st, 50 cent corn dogs. <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't I don't think it was like unique to my family. As an aside, I, I don't I, like I, corn dogs. I, well, you are freaking out of your mind. Corn dogs I, are God's creation to the earth. I but, really don't like corn dogs. If I could only eat corn dogs for the rest of my life, I would be a happy man. Uh, you can have all of the corn dogs that you want. 
I'll I have will all of simply yours partake in none of them. them. That's fine. You can go get some 50 cent corn dogs from Sonic uh, in Their honor of me. Their corn dogs are not actually good, though. I, oh, I will, I will well, tell you that. But I'm just going to say they, I think they stole the idea from your mom. They need, they need to, your mom needs to like. Um, Royalties and all that. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Br- Make take, it like take Sonic 55 to cents now. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Every oh, we take five cents for every corn dog they sell on Halloween. Hell yeah! <laughs> there you go. That, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, this is going to be an interesting episode because we're talking about USC and Oregon, a big game on Saturday night, as we mentioned in the open. Uh, I have so many thoughts about this game. We've talked about it for weeks. This is USC's biggest game of the season. This is the season. This is it. This is. This is all on the line. Uh, if USC wants to go to the Pac-12 championship game, if they want to go to the Rose Bowl, this is their opportunity to make a big statement. Obviously, the way that they have a tiebreaker over Utah, uh, they're not out of out of it if they lose this game, but they can really, you know, take a big step forward to going the distance to uh, to, to Santa Clara if they if they get a big win here. So I'm amped to talk about it. Yeah, uh, you say they're not out of it if they lose this game. They're not necessarily, but it it, it will all come to come basically on the line this weekend because Utah is at Washington, and if Utah doesn't lose to Washington, I don't see them losing for the rest of the season. Now, UCLA could do UCLA stupid stupid things and turn out to be suddenly good and challenge them at the Rose Bowl, but their their last three games of UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. After the game's at Rice game. Eccles, by the way. Oh, is it right? Okay, sorry, it's Rice. Even more reason to not expect UCLA to do something crazy, although the Pac-12 is going to Pac-12. But their last three games of UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado are not threatening. And I think that if they don't lose to Washington, then USC can't expect their tiebreaker to come into play uh, if USC loses to Oregon. Uh, so USC loses to Oregon and Utah loses to Washington, I think USC is in really good shape. USC loses to Oregon and Utah beats Washington, then uh, things are, are a little muddled. So like you pointed out, USC likes to tout the line that they control their own destiny. I think you only control your own destiny next week if you t- if you, you get one over on, uh, on Oregon here this week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as long as Utah loses, it doesn't matter. But yes, beat Oregon uh, and then it's one big step forward, especially since UCLA controls their own destiny at this point, too. Uh, yeah. UCLA and USC both control their own destiny. Hey, what if we have another uh, one of those rivalry games where SC and UCLA are playing for the Pac-12 South? That'd be fun. That would be outstanding uh, in the chaos that is it's the what Pac-12. what the rivalry should be, right? I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I'm sure our friend Jake uh, will be super amped for it. Jake from the What's Bruin Show, which, if you didn't know, we do a show with Jake from the What's Bruin Show over on Patreon. Patreon.com. Slash Rain of Troy, we can get all of our bonus episodes for as little as five fifty-five a month, including the rewatch bonus car cast where you talk about everything that's going on in USC football on Tuesdays and Wednesdays after practice and so much more. Yeah, so we haven't done a, a takes with Jake uh, yet this month, but one should be coming up in the near future. Uh, I say that because we randomly get texts from Jake with uh, topics that need discussing on takes with Jake. And here's a little here's a little preview of discussions that we're gonna have on the next show with Jake. Um, that would be steaks should be pink, hamburgers should be brown. This is Jake's hot take. 
he is wrong on this, but uh, well, I'm excited uh, to he- I'm excited to hear this debate. I'm excited to hear pink. this debate. Pink is where the flavor's at. I I am not. We're gonna save this for for the takes with Jake, but the people should know. I am ready to be the judge. I have an open mind coming into this debate. I want to hear the two of you hash it out over pink steaks and pink hamburgers. I'm excited. As long as we're not talking about Pink's hot dogs, which are utterly garbage. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. I'd rather have a corn dog than a Pink's hot dog, which leads us back to that, which leads us to, let's just talk about this game, USC and Oregon. Up next, we'll be right back. Talking about the news first, and then the big game. We'll be right back. Alicia, we talked about the injury updates in our last episode to talk about the fallout from the Colorado. Uh, We have one more day of information. Uh, On Wednesday, Christian Rector and Chris Steele practiced uh, again Tuesday and Wednesday. Looks good for them to play on Saturday night against Oregon. But Pallier Nauteote also practiced on Wednesday, which could potentially look good for him to play as well. Uh, Not participating is Stephen Carr. Vimalapai and Marquis Step in the backfield, nor is Drake Jackson at defensive end and Talanoa Hufanga at safety. Yeah, talking to Ian Oteote after practice, he seemed to be indicating that he intends to play, uh, but he wouldn't really give us any clues as to how much he might play or if that's really part of the plan. Uh, he, at the very least, had his he had his pads with him on Wednesday. Can't confirm how much he practiced, but he told us that he practiced a lot. So, you know, in, interpret that as you will. Uh, either way, it's it's good if, if he's even getting closer to being back. Anyone that USC gets back for this game against Oregon is a big plus, particularly when you look at Christian Rector having all that time off and, and hopefully coming in at 100%. Chris Steele being able to reinforce USC secondary and getting even one more of those defensive guys uh, back in the fold with Ian Ateote. Even if it's just splitting time with Kanai Mauga, you, you take it. He's an impact player who could uh, prove to be the difference, potentially, in what, what is probably going to be a pretty tough game for USC. So, uh, sort of good news, hopefully. Hopefully good news. We'll see. Yeah, it'd be good for SC to get another body back there at linebacker. Uh, and, and help out. I mean, all season, all off season, we thought EA Naoteote was going to be one of USC's best players, if not their best player. Uh, and we're still waiting to see it. And maybe when he comes back from injury, maybe that will be his moment to uh, to really make an impact like we saw last year as a true freshman. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for the news. Let's just get into this game. USC and Oregon Saturday night, 5 p.m. Locking horns at the Coliseum on Big Fox. The Ducks are 7-1 and one and number 7 in the AP poll. They are 14th uh, in the SP Plus rankings. They're pretty damn good. Uh, they've had two tough weeks the last two weeks, but they went through a stretch for over a month where they didn't allow a touchdown. Uh, they beat Nevada 77-6, Montana 35-3, Stanford 21-6, Cal 17-7, and Colorado 45-3. Five straight games where they didn't allow more than seven points. But the last two weeks, pulled one out against Washington in the fourth quarter. They trailed by double digits, uh, and they won 35-31. Trailed by 14 in the second half, and they won that game. Uh, And then last week, they win 37-35, 
with a buzzer-beater field goal from a true freshman place kicker for the Ducks, Camden Lewis, uh, who won that there at the death to give them a 37-35 win. So this is a very interesting team because I think when you when you look at the numbers and you look at the dominant wins, we talk about what USC does and doesn't do. They don't put their, their foot on the throats of bad teams and, and just annihilate them. Oregon does that. Oregon is really damn good at that. Oregon is really good and just taking advantage of bad teams and just murdering them. But they've played three good teams this season. They've struggled with all three. USC, more than likely, is a good team, especially at home. I don't think this is one of those games where SC is a four and a half point underdog uh, as of as of Wednesday night. I don't think SC walks in this game feeling like an underdog to me. This This is a toss up. I agree, and and this is the thing about USC. You and I have had the big mediocre versus medium debate. We even put up a, a poll on Twitter to find out if people agree with medium or mediocre. And I stand by my mediocre take, but I think that the mediocre tag definitely applies to USC more firmly when they're on the road. When they're at home, I think medium is really what counts because they have the ability to play really well at home and to have the ball bounce their way and to have the plays go their way. And we've, we've seen that happen for USC, uh, you know, at the Coliseum, their best performances of the season have all come at the Coliseum, regardless of personnel. They were down a bunch of defensive guys against Arizona. They blew them out. They put their foot on the throat of a bad team. Just like you said, that Oregon is much better at doing than USC, but USC was able to do that to Arizona at home. Uh, They go and take on, on Utah, on a Friday night and, you know, I was just on a, a podcast with um, the Quack 12 podcast and we were talking about how Oregon, uh, Utah, even Oregon fans acknowledge that Utah is probably the best team in the Pac-12. And yet Utah went to the Coliseum and lost to Matt Fink. And uh, we saw what USC did to Stanford, a, a bad Stanford team, it turns out. But still, that was USC putting their foot on the throat of an opponent and pulling away. So, you know, every single one of USC's home wins, with the exception of Fresno State, and we'll put Fresno State to the side because that was a weird game. You lose your starting quarterback in the first half. You throw in a true freshman quarterback you didn't think you were going to have to play uh, in the second half and, uh, and, and struggle a little bit with Fresno State. The circumstances around that are, are so weird, but the, all of USC's home performances this year have been excellent, right? So, yeah. Can can they do it again against Oregon? Can they overcome their mediumness against uh, Oregon? Which, you know, I, I would say this is their toughest challenge at home, except, I mean, Utah was a, a plenty big challenge coming off a road game on a Friday night. Uh, Oregon is a, is a very good team, but there is real debate about who, who who is a better team, Oregon or Utah. And USC has an extra day of rest going into this Oregon game. Uh, so... I don't know. And 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 USC has a, a healthy quarterback and USC has all these things that you look at and think, well, they could challenge them. And so I'm I'm with you being a four point underdog that I, I think you look at the, the, the Coliseum and you think this is a coin flip for sure. Yeah. And I got a tweet on Twitter from Kev that says, does Mario Cristobal's late game decision making count as a football reason that USC can beat Oregon? And at the time, I'm like, I haven't decided if what the football reasons are going to say in this game. And at this point, I don't think there's any football reason why USC can't win this game. I'm not going to say that there's no football reason that USC should or shouldn't, but there's no reason that they can't uh, because 
the way SC plays at home, because what we know about USC, what do they do? They play up and down to their opponents. This is the game where I know that the, the knock on Clay Elton is that he struggles against top 10 teams. He struggles against top 10 teams on the road, not at home. This yeah. is the game that he plays well on. See, I'm going to disagree with you about the football reasons, because I look at the numbers, the the football reasons, and I see no reason Oregon shouldn't win this game. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the circumstances around this game make you think, well, if USC is going to have that game where they overachieve, then this will be the one. But when you get down to it, there's a lot of reasons to to prefer Oregon, to trust Oregon more. The, the problem is, is that Oregon as a team it has been medium themselves to a point. Uh, like you pointed out, they, they've beaten up on some really bad teams and the, the, the couple of good teams that they've played have challenged them. So I guess USC has to decide which category they're going to be in about whether or not they're a mediocre team or, 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 you know, a good team that's going to, that's going to put Oregon on the ropes. But you just look down the, down the lineup in the matchup. Justin Herbert's a mobile quarterback. Um, USC struggles with that. Uh, CJ Verdell and their running attack is uh, speedy and uh, explosive and effective that way. Uh, so that's a concern for USC. Um, they have wide receivers who are very good at, at getting into the end zone. They have an offensive line that has two midseason AP first team All Americans, their left tackle and left guard. Uh, their right tackle, Calvin uh, Throckmorton, hasn't allowed a sack in 28 straight starts. So offensively, Oregon is uh, the kind of team that could absolutely challenge USC's defense and, and take them to the edge, especially the way that we saw Colorado challenge USC's defense. And on the other side of the ball, Oregon has a very, very, very good uh, defense that is very effective at creating turnovers. And they, you know, they lead the nation in in interceptions so far this year. Uh, they have their secondary has been outstanding. Uh, their linebackers are outstanding, and you know USC's USC's defense, USC's offense hasn't exactly proven itself to be super trustworthy either. We know what their highs can look like, but we also have seen their their lows. And this defense is at least as good as any of the defenses that they face so far this season. Uh, probably better than any of the defenses that they face so far this season. So, uh, like when you look just at the matchup from a from a, a tail of the tape kind of thing, Oregon gets has all of the advantages here. Can I just say that I'm not buying the whole idea about Oregon's pass defense being that good? Why? Uh, I, I I think Oregon is a very good team. Don't don't get me wrong, but I don't. They're thirteenth in team pass efficiency defense. They're number one in passes intercepted. Yeah. They're 26th uh, in sacks. Yes. Uh, so passer rating allowed. They did not allow a passer rating of over 100 until two weeks ago against Washington. Jacob Eason had a passer rating of 190.5. Uh, Anthony Gordon last, last week, a passer rating of 144.01. And we talk about the, you talk about the 14 interceptions that are number one in the country. Those came in. They intercepted uh, Bo Nix. In week one, a true freshman making a first start in his first ever game in a in a raucous environment that for a true freshman, uh, a, a neutral site game, two interceptions there. They intercepted Devin Monster from Cal twice. Devin Monster twice. <laughs> uh, they intercepted Stevie Montez four times, 
And that was in that two-game stretch where Stevie Montez, every other pass was a freaking pick. So I'm not looking at these numbers and saying, wow, they're just intercepting all these great quarterbacks. They haven't played any good quarterbacks until the last two weeks. They intercepted and the, the quarterbacks the Josh last Gordon. two weeks have moved the ball. Jacob Eason threw for 289 yards. Anthony Gordon threw for 406. So I, I you know, and I, I, you look at the advanced numbers and... Oregon has played three games against teams ranked 24th or higher in SP+. Every other game is against teams ranked 73rd or worse. The teams ranked 73rd or worse, they have won in dominating fashion. Absolutely dominating fashion. Those three games against teams ranked 24th or better, they have lost according to the numbers if you look at post-game win expectancy and all that stuff. So... I don't think that this is an infallible team at all. I think Oregon is very good. I think Oregon has all the pieces to be very good uh, and, and win a lot of games and, and be a playoff contender. But they're just missing something. And, and I don't know what it is, but when you, when, you, when you look at all the pieces that this ha- team has, and they have like, what, 17 returning starters or whatever, the offensive line is amazing when you look at Penny Sewell and, and Shane Lemieux and all those guys. Everything is very good on this team. Why are they not better against good teams? Why? Is well, it is it is it crystal ball? Is, I mean, like I I get it. They they've won the last two weeks, but how are you so dominant against other teams and then pulling games out at the end against Washington and Washington State? And again, this is what good teams do. They they win their clunkers a and, and they win tough road games and rivalries at Washington. I get it, but this team isn't infallible. There's no reason why SC can't win this game. I no, I agree. I I think that not that I agree. I think that there's no reason that Oregon should lose this game, though. Like I agree that there's no reason USC can't there, there win this be. game. There shouldn't be because they they have the roster, uh, they have the quarterback, they have everything that you could imagine. Like this is the only game on the schedule I think where if you're USC, you're saying, you know what, I would trade the roster. This is the only game. I remember, I don't know if I mentioned this on, on the podcast or not, but I remember watching an Oregon game and turning to to you or my dad or whoever was in the room with me and going, oh, you know, it was, it was my friend who's an Oregon fan. And I turned to him and I went, uh, Oregon's defense is full of players that USC missed on or let go or or that they didn't try to pursue. Like... Thomas Graham was a USC uh, commit. Uh, uh, Diamador Lenore was a was a guy that USC didn't hit on. Um, uh, Mace Funa was a guy that uh, that USC missed on. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was a guy that USC appeared to not pursue. Uh, yeah, the 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 talent that Oregon has brought in is excellent, uh, very very excellent. So I agree, but but that's kind of why you look at it and you say that Oregon. If Oregon takes care of their business, they shouldn't lose to a USC team that just had to be on the ropes against Colorado on the like you talk about Oregon's uh win over over Washington. Oregon went to Washington and beat Washington in the same manner that USC went to Boulder and beat Colorado. Yeah, it, well. So, yes. I mean, yes, not it, not that transference is the, something that we can count on in the Pac-12 score and everything. Yes. Yes, uh, and a comeback. Yes. And trailed all by of that. as many as 14 and the I mean the whole bit, yeah. But the difference being, <laughs> I think a comeback win against Washington is a little bit more respectable than a comeback win well, against but, Colorado. Okay, that's my point, right? That's my point. So, 
USC has has been less impressive across the season than Oregon has. Sure. And yeah. and so when like when you look at it, Oregon, our skepticism around Oregon is more about Oregon. Like I don't think that uh th- that we know what what we have in Oregon at this stage. And the last two weeks certainly haven't helped that perception because they have looked vulnerable. And the thing that USC always brings to the table is the talent of their roster, if they have their game, if they have their moment, if their guys make plays, then that's the kind of thing that that on any on any weekend USC could flip the switch and suddenly at the Coliseum, here's good USC, you know, take all take on all comers. But if but if candies and nuts were ifs and buts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Exactly, exactly. But but so so this is the problem is I. Trust USC less than I trust Oregon, but I don't trust Oregon any further than I can throw them because, like you say, they have the quarterback and they kind of do because Justin Herbert is, I, I call him a, a poor man Sam Darnold, but emphasis on the poor man's because he has a very similar skill set, a very scary skill set, but he doesn't have that unflappability, that, that, that sensation that he's just going to go out and win the game. Like, I think Justin Herbert could come to the Coliseum and have an absolute clunker. And it wouldn't necessarily surprise us. And that is the thing that I don't trust about Oregon. I don't trust Mario Cristobal. I don't trust Oregon to to go in and play a clean game against USC. And not that I trust USC's defense to be anything more than they are. Not that uh, we, we know trust, what they are. Not that we trust USC in general or, or USC as a Helton coach team in general no. either. But the one thing that I'm sort of coming around on, like this week is a weird. So I promised myself after the fiery car cast and a weekend of stewing <laughs> that uh, for my own sanity, I was going to try to adopt a little bit of more of a Zen uh, mindset. Oh, oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I even okay. I even told the, the Quack 12 guys I, I'm trying to be a little bit more Zen today. So I, I may not be ranting on this on this podcast that we're recording, but um Obviously, I still got ranty, but you can't help yourself. No, I can never help myself on that. But my Zenness has sort of like targeted in and fo- since my rewatch, it's like targeted in, focused in on Keaton Slovis. Like Keaton Slovis is the dude. And d- do I trust Keaton Slovis to be the dude? I kind of do. My my, I, I I'm Zen around the idea that Keaton is just. Keaton and everything's going to be okay and like not to worry <laughs> Keaton's going to do his thing so uh all of the the stats that have come out this week about yeah you, know, you found that great stat about his fourth quarter performance with five touchdowns and and no interceptions and a ridiculous passer rating and uh the Pac-12 voted him you know, I mean he was freshman of the week and you know all of these things that are coming out talking to Graham Harrell about him and talking to other uh fans about him um like, I just I, I, I'm beginning to sort of fall back on a mantra of just like in Keaton, I trust. And that might burn me real bad this weekend. But that's kind of where I'm at, where if USC wins this game, it's because Keaton Slovis shows us he has it. And it's really that simple. Yeah, I, I would I would love to watch a game in which it's Slovis versus versus Herbert in a duel. And seeing who wins, and I know that quarterback duels are completely overrated. They're not they're actually not playing, playing each defense. other, and and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot different than in basketball where they have to guard each other too, right? Yeah. 
But it would be it would be super fun to see a shootout in this game where both quarterbacks are like mono a mono and who's the one to pull it out at the end. I think would be would be fun. It'd be fun to watch. And I think Keaton Slovis can do it. I, I absolutely think that he can do it in this game. Jacob Eason moved the ball on this team. Uh again, Anthony Gordon threw four hundred and six yards. Keaton Slovis threw for that much last week against Colorado. So I think SC can move the ball in this game. Uh, the, the what it's going to come down to is how do they protect? How do they win the battle up front? Because that's where Oregon is so good. Oregon's good on their defensive line. They're good on their offensive line in particular. If SC just seems competent on both sides of those those lines, I think they can have a chance to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers and let their playmakers make plays. It's just a matter of being able to actually do that and and find consistency in it. Yeah, the I mean that's the the consistency is really the thing that I am least confident in. Uh will USC's playmakers yeah. be able to avoid the big time mistakes that uh that you know I detailed in in the Colorado game where you know Michael Pittman was responsible for a couple big mistakes and uh you have you know veteran tight ends and veteran offensive linemen and and all of that kind of stuff coming into play but uh, one thing I wanted to mention, which was interesting, talking to the to the Quack Twelve guys, uh, they they mentioned that they actually thought that what Matt Fink did to Utah, which was the Yolo raid, yeah, would be more effective against Oregon. That's that would scare them more than a more deliberate uh, pick you off underneath kind of approach from Keaton and. I've I've sort of been thinking about that because remember we went into that Utah game thinking man this is the best secondary USC is going to face this year and at the time it it felt like it would be maybe barring Notre Dame and USC was able to go up there and say fine 50 50 it our guys are going to win those battles over you and and they did and that's how USC beat Utah um, Oregon is now the the next best secondary that USC has, has faced this year arguably they're either on par with or or in the range of, of Notre Dame's secondary, can USC's receivers do that again? Where if Keaton gives them a chance, not necessarily on downfield passes, but just on the sort of 50-50 balls, who, win the, who wins those battles? Which playmakers make their plays? And we've seen Oregon has made plays in their secondary by getting all those interceptions. But that that may be the, the ultimate thing is is coming away with, the consistency of consistently making the 50-50 grab, making the, you know, beating the defender to the ball. Yeah, I, I'm torn because Washington State had a lot of success last week. And, and you know how Washington State's offense is. It's a dink and dunker. Uh, and again, they moved the ball for 406 yards through the air. So yeah, yeah, uh, they had success there, too. Um, the other but they thing, only scored 31 points. This is true. The other thing to do to to discuss about this is that I think a lot of the, the issues with that Utah game is Utah's problems in in coverage. They were so hell-bent on playing man that it, it allowed SC to be in those one-on-one battles and have Michael Pittman just win those, right? And and Tyler Vons and Amara St. Brown win those one-on-one battles because if you're going to cover them in man, the receivers are going to win. Uh, just like this, we saw last week, defensively, USC was trying to... to cover LaVisca Chenault and man you, you can't do that he, yeah. he's just too good and, and so you you can't do that 
Um, if you're if you're a defensive backfield well, so against does, this, this receiving core, does Oregon maybe fall into the same trap that Utah did, where they trust their secondary too much? Maybe. I mean, Washington played man to, to their credit, but they also yeah. dropped eight. So they, you can do both. It's how do yeah. you do how how are the how do you do those things? But and I think the, also, the difficult thing for for USC in this game is that they're not going to have Vi, they're not going to have Step, they're not going to have Carr. And so they're going to, to be as air radius humanly possible. We saw this last week uh, against Colorado. That To me, the Colorado game was the first game that actually felt like SC was running the air raid air raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it, to me, it, the air, it, there's air raid concepts riddled throughout. Absolutely. And it was a, you know, a much better offense, uh, you know, visually pleasing and how they're able to scheme uh, receivers open and do all that stuff where they're using those kind of concepts but it was very much a, a, an NFL-style um, air raid offense where it's still well, they pretty still balanced. wanted to run the ball, yeah. Yeah, they still wanted to run the ball, and they weren't going five wide and all that kind of crazy stuff, right? But we saw it against Colorado. How many times they just went empty? And how many times they went empty with five receivers, too, uh, where they did just actually go five wide, which is rare. And SC was able to do that, and SC was able to do that in part because... They knew that they it was a wrinkle that they could go to without having the running backs there, and they're not going to have the running backs there again. Uh, Keenan Kristen's going to be the man uh, in the backfield, uh, which means that you can't have him in the backfield on every down. You're going to have to go four and five wide, go empty uh, a fair bit in this game, which means throwing the ball around and trusting Keenan Slovis. And if Keenan Slovis is your best player on Saturday night, then that's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's a that's a good thing. And I'm going to be curious to see how much USC throws at Oregon, because this is the game that you look at. If you've been holding anything back, if you've been hanging on to any wrinkle, this is the game you pull it out. Is this the, the game we see a trick play? Uh, if the timing is right, I, I see. We know that they have trick plays in their arsenal. We haven't seen any of them yet. So if the timing is right, if the looks are right, I don't see why not. But it's going to I mean, that's I, I'm I'm intrigued to see if they go air raidy in this game and just say, screw it. You know, we'll go five wide and and see what we see what we end up with uh, and, and how Oregon responds to that. And the, the big question is, like, will Oregon be able to produce pressure with just their front against USC's uh <laughs> annoyingly inconsistent offensive line. Uh, will they will they decide to drop eight? Um, it, you, we brought up Washington and how Washington still man ra- ran man. And to their credit, they were able to sort of uh, keep the upper hand on USC. But you and I were just having the conversation. Does does How different does that game look if Keaton is the quarterback? Because by this point now, Keaton has proven himself to be a vastly superior quarterback to, to Matt Fink. Uh, just in in terms of uh, the ability to to uh, read the defense, to get to de- deliver the ball accurately, uh, to not make the same mistakes twice, those kinds of things matter. And what worked for Washington against Matt Fink so well might not work for Oregon against Keaton Slovis if he is the quarterback that we think he is. And this is the this is where the sort of uh, the proving grounds for Keaton Slovis come into play because. He was exceptional against Colorado, but we've established Colorado's defense is very, very, very bad. 
Oregon's defense, we might not be certain about it because the last two weeks they've given up 31 and 35 points against more high-powered offense. But they're, they're also capable offense. to go five weeks in which they hold teams under seven. Which, even if you're playing bad offenses, even if you're playing bad offenses, that is outstanding. That yeah. is really exceptional. Yep. So, uh, when when you look at it, this is a very, very competent defense, and Keaton Slovis will be tested in this game the way that he has not been tested so far. Because, remember, Keaton doesn't play against Utah because he gets knocked out of that game. Uh, he uh, doesn't play against Washington because he's unavailable for that game. He plays against Notre Dame, and, and we agree that in the second half of that game, he looked pretty darn good and, and gave USC a shot in that game. But he needs to have more than just a couple good quarters in order to lead USC over Oregon. This is this is the big test where he can't have that first half where he's playing off the way that he, uh, he did in the last two road games. Yeah, you need to see a full 60 minutes from him, or at least close to it. The only time we've seen that is the Stanford game. Uh, to his credit, and we've said this over and over and over again, he finishes really strong. Uh, and and like you mentioned yesterday, uh, the the whole it, it, the interesting thought of like him being asked about you asked him uh, on Tuesday, like why are you so good in the fourth quarter? And he's like, well, I've seen the defense for three quarters, so why wouldn't I be good in the fourth quarter? I love that 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 mentality, and I, I we've talked about him. His whole idea of like getting better uh, as games go on and improving on his mistakes and all that stuff. But if he just starts from a higher place and finishes uh, at an even higher pace than that, I think that uh, SC would be in a really, really good spot. And it's like you said, it's going to be coming against a secondary that's really good. Javon Holland, four picks. Verone McKinley, three picks, two pass breakups. Like these guys are really, really good. Uh, Thomas Graham has a pick in seven pass breakups. Might remember him, another one of those guys uh, that that SC was definitely in the mix for for a long time. Yeah, so that that secondary, they have playmakers there. They have playmakers there. And you you were right to point out earlier that against the better quarterbacks that they face, they haven't necessarily put up the same kind of numbers, but they've still been, I think, at perfectly adequate. They they had two interceptions against Anthony Gordon last week, even though they didn't they didn't pick off. Um, they didn't pick off Jacob Eason, but there are guys in there who will pay, who make you pay if you put the ball in in a danger spot. And uh, that that secondary is is not just full of good players; it's full of clear talent. The one thing too we have to note uh, before we move on is that the Washington State game. It's it's kind of important to note that Oregon didn't have Troy Dye, their uh, their lead linebacker, because he has a, a broken thumb and he missed that game, he is expected to play against USC this week. So I don't know, maybe he's probably going to end up having to wear a cast or some sort of uh, something on his hand to keep that all together. But them getting him back is a huge, huge boost for for Oregon in terms of their prospects on defense. And uh, he's one that I'm going to be very interested to see how effective he can be coming back from from an injury. Yeah, it's an injury that Oregon might live and die on. All right, uh, we'll take a quick break. Come right back. Talk about Over Under Up next. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, we get into a pivotal over under. I have a three game lead. I am 33 and 23. You are 30 and 26. This is getting to crunch time. You need to start picking up some pieces here. What is your first over under? 
My first over under is 1.5 Keaton Slovis turnovers in this game. So as I've mentioned before, Oregon has intercepted uh, 14 passes, which is number one nationally. Uh, they rank highly in, in turnover margin and turnovers gained this season. Uh, USC doesn't, <laughs> the turnover margin is, is not in USC's favor, but Keaton Slovis has gonna, done a good job of the, over the last three games since he returned from uh, from the injury, from the concussion, um, to protect the ball. Uh, he did throw an interception against Colorado, almost gave away two fumbles against Colorado too, but got away with it. So my question is, will he be able to continue to protect the ball or will he not get away with it against Oregon? Under... Under. If you'd have said 0.5, I would take the over, but at 1.5, give me that under. I think there's a very... The reason I said it at 1.5 is because I think it's likely that Keaton Slovis will turn the ball over at least once. Uh, Against an Oregon defense that that gets turnovers, I think it's expecting a ton from him to not turn it over at least once. Um, I, too, am going to go with the under... I think he's going to turn it over once and exactly once. All right, you can't you can't start picking up ground if he if he you take I what know. I take. Uh, see, I'm not I'm not pa- I'm not. You got into trouble last year because you panicked and you didn't I recognize. Panic. That I never panicked. I don't know what you're I'm, talking about. I'm I am taking my my. Have I ever zen- panicked? I never panicked. I have no clue what what you're discussing. I am taking my zen and transporting my mindset into Keaton Slovis's unflappable the, the Graham Harrell called it he doesn't get pressed I'm not going to get pressed there's still four weeks left in the season I have plenty of over-unders to deal with I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push it I'm, I'm gonna save all this audio for the car cast when you're yelling my ear off <laughs> well you know I can't be helped <laughs> uh I too am gonna make an over-under about turnovers I'm talking organ turnovers 0.5 for the Ducks. They've had three straight games of zero turnovers. Part of the reason they're so good with, with turnover margin is not only do they take the ball away, but they don't give it up. They've only given up four turnovers all season. Four. But none in the last three games. Over or under. 0.5. A.K.A. Does Oregon turn the ball over in this game? I'm taking the under on this, mostly because USC cannot be trusted to get turnovers. That's not what this defense has done. It's one of the big reasons why this defense is so frustrating. So going under. I'll just uh, The trend doesn't doesn't support the idea of, uh, of going over. I'm tempted to take the under because I've looked it up, and Oregon is only averaging 0. .4, 0.4 non-lost fumbles per game. USC is averaging 0. 0.9, double that which means SC's almost fumbling once a game in which they recover it. Uh, Oregon is is not doing that nearly as often. So I was wondering if there was some fumble luck involved here. There's not. It makes me tempted to take the under and say that Oregon's not going to commit a turnover. But I think Herbert's due for a pick. One. One pick. In this he only game. has one pick all season. He It means he's due. It means he's due. I think USC's defense is due to at least get one. I don't think asking for one turnover is asking for too much. Give me the over. When it comes to USC's defense, it is. But you go and take that over. All right. I'll, I'm taking it. Uh, what's, your, what's your next over under? All right. My next one is 199 rushing yards for Oregon. 
Uh, that's because USC gave has given up 200-plus in three games this season, Fresno State, Utah, and Notre Dame. Oregon has actually only gained 200-plus in four games this season, Nevada, Montana, Colorado, and Wazoo. So basically very not good defenses. So USC's, uh, USC's defense flirts with the idea of being very not good, but they are who they are. They're extraordinarily medium, mediocre, whatever term you want to use. So is this a game where USC gives up 200 yards rushing? Yes, and the reason why is because you mentioned that SC gave up 200 against Fresno State, Utah, and Notre Dame. You did not mention they gave up 193 to Washington and 196 <laughs> to Cal. Sorry, Colorado. Not so Cal. watch them. Watch them do. Oh, so I, I need to put the I need to put the over under at 199.5. Okay, 199.5. So 199.5. So watch them give up 199 yards <laughs> in this game. <laughs> they might, but give me the over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I. <laughs> I think that USC's rushing defense is potentially going to be a huge problem for them going forward. Uh, I had a, a chat with Clancy Pendergast about it after practice on Wednesday, and I asked him, you know, what what do you need to fix as far as the way that Colorado was able to rush the ball? And he talked all about like run fits and how the back seven needed to do a, a better job of, of fitting the gaps. And I came away from my rewatch seeing a huge problem with USC's front front four in terms of the way that they were holding their ground and getting pushed back. So if it was just run fits, if it was just the linebackers and the safeties coming up to do their job, it would be one thing. But the way that USC's line was getting blown back against Colorado gives me a lot of pause about what USC is going to do on the ground. So I'm going to, I'm also going to take the over no fun, but I'm also going to take the over. I think that's a good call. I I think it's pretty safe. Pretty, Especially pretty against safe. that offensive line. Yeah, this the is offensive easily line is the really best good. offensive line. Yeah, uh, I, outside I think no name. Yeah, I think Oregon's going to run the ball more than they throw the ball in this game. In terms of effectiveness, they're going to be able to run the ball better than they throw it. If Just, I were Oregon, uh, mostly because that's what every team has done on, on USC this year. Yeah. Par- partially by design because SC has been susceptible to the run, especially outside. But also because SC secondary has been really, really good outside of. Trying to man up on on Lavisca Chanel. If if I'm Oregon, I take a stab at running USC to death. And uh, as a as an aside, you're limiting US play ball control. I don't know that Oregon is a ball control offense, but if I were Oregon, I'd go into this game thinking, let's just play ball control, limit the number of plays that that USC's offense is able to to have and uh, and run down their throats. And I think that Oregon could have success doing that. I don't think they will necessarily, but I think they could if that was their strategy, which is should be concerning. You mentioned ball control. They're averaging five more plays per game than their opponents, uh, but three, uh, sorry, two fewer minutes of possession. So running a little bit quicker, but uh, not necessarily ball controlling. Yeah, so it may be, it, it may require a little bit of change of pace for them, but that's how I would do it. I mean, if I were if I were defending USC, I think it would be very simple. I'd drop eight on defense. Don't overcomplicate it. Just drop eight, and I would run out the clock on offense. It's pretty sound. Pretty sound for me. Uh, let's go to my next over-under. I said over-under 132.16 as a passer rating for Justin Herbert. That was his passer rating last week against Washington State, his second lowest of the year. He was at 119.02 against Cal. 
132.16, right in the neighborhood of uh, where we put this line for Ian Book. That was an under. Uh, Montez was over that. Um, what, what do you say? Oh, this one's tough. Uh, this is tough mostly because I think that Justin Herbert will have a passer rating in the 130s. <laughs> so it could be 131, it could be 135. Um, I suppose, given the maths and the numbers, the there are more numbers above 132 that are still in the 130s than below 132 that are still in the 130s. So I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go over. We'll go over on this. I don't think it'll be much over, but this one's going to be rough. I could go ball control and go over and just, just nix it out, but I'm going to go under because I think that it's going to be under. I see him in the 120s. SC has been consistently good at holding quarterbacks to lower passer ratings than they've been throughout mm-hmm. the season. The exception, again, Steven Montez. Right, which was such a weird, such a weird game. Right, yeah, because you look at you look at his numbers, and we talked about it before. Like, yeah, Montez was at one hundred and forty nine point one, which is way closer to what he was doing in the first five games of the season rather than the last two before the SC game, which were just abysmal. So he bounced back against SC. Uh, Herbert might be able to put in a good game. Uh, you're going to take the over. I'm going to take the under. What is your last over under? Uh, thing here. My last over under is 2.5. That's Drake London catches. So it's interesting. Uh, he's only caught passes in three games so far for USC. He had three against Stanford, a long gap where he caught none, and then four against Arizona, and finally seven against Colorado. So USC has been sort of incentivized to use him more, but is he going to be another featured player? receiver for USC in a game where they're still going to try and get Michael Pittman, Tyler Rons, and Amon Ross St. Brown the ball as, as often as possible. So that's 2.5. Alicia, do you remember the, the 2012 USC-Oregon game? Yes, I do. 62-51, remember that? I do. Who was USC's leading receiver in that game? 2012. Uh, the fact that you're asking that question tells me it wasn't Marquise Lee. No, it was not. It was Nelson uh, Aguilar. Oh, yeah. The third uh, I, receiver. I'm sitting here tempted to say that Drake London, this is an opportunity for Drake London because Oregon has three very good corners, uh, including the, the nickelback. Uh, and I think that, you know, they could they could try to cover SC's three headliners, uh, the big three, Pittman, Vons, St. Brown. But at the same point... I feel like Drake London caught too many passes last week to be considered the the unsung hero in this game. Uh, I could see him getting seven if he would have had two and two and three and four going into this game because Oregon takes away the other guys and he's open. So I can't see him getting seven in this game. But two and a half is the is the line. All he's got to do is get three catches. Give me that over. All right, you take take the over. Um... Here's my thing. USC hasn't necessarily had like repeat performances. Every game, when it it comes to the receiving core, every game is different, drastically different. So part of me thinks that it's been a little while since we saw a high volume Amon Ross St. Brown game. 
and he's kind of due for mm, it. Mm. My pushback on that is I think that high volume Amon Ross St. Brown game, first of all, it's Notre Dame, but the, the other one is, I think, was Colorado. The reason that that Amon Ra didn't have a million catches because Slovis missed him so many so often. Uh, he was wide open all game. He was he was available to to catch those balls. Uh, so he didn't catch those balls to get into the stat sheet. But I feel like those catches were on the table for him to have. So I don't th- I wouldn't say that he's due in that sense because I thought he had a great game last week. No, I'm not saying he had a bad game. I just, I just right. mean like high volume. He's only had 100 but I think yard last game. Week, last week should have been a high volume game for him. Right, but it wasn't. I don't know. I just think it's very unpredictable. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go under. I think, I think Drake London will have two catches. I don't think if you'll. If you would have put the line at three and a half, I might have taken the under. But at two and a half, I think I gotta take the over because I think he can have three catches and then Amonra can still have his big game. Or Vaughn's or Pittman, whoever it mm-hmm. is. I don't think I don't think that Drake London getting the over here is prohibiting any of that. More often than not, he's had under two point five. So well, I'm we'll saying see. he gets the over. <laughs> uh, I take the last, under. Yeah. Last one. Going back to passer ready, my favorite. Over under a passer oh, rating of hundred and forty eight point six three for Keaton Slovis. <sighs> Oof. 148.63. Jeez. Passer rating for Keaton Slovis over under. That was his passer rating at Notre Dame, the only other top 10 team he's faced. Obviously, Notre Dame is no longer a top 10 team, but they were ranked in the top 10 when he faced them. Uh, his passer rating at home is 178.7. In conference, it's 180.7. Oregon allowed 190.6 to Jacob Eason. All that is evidence that surely he should get the over, right? But... Aaron, uh, sorry, Anthony Gordon last week for Washington State was only at 144.0. Uh, and then we talked about it before Jacob Eason. Everybody that Oregon faced was under 100. Part of that was because they played a million not good quarterbacks. They faced two good ones, and the two good ones have put up yards. Okay, so here's another situation where I think your over-under is spot on, and it's very frustrating. Uh, because it makes it hard to pick. I think Keaton Slovis will have a passer rating in the 140s. Again, using my maths, there are more numbers under 148 in the 140s than there are over 148. So I'm taking the under on this one. And uh, I fully prepare for this to be a total and utter crapshoot. Good, because I'm taking the over. It's going to be over at like 149. Yeah, it's going to be something that, stupid like that. That would count, baby. That would count. <sighs> we'll see. Indeed. Uh, Let's get to the game predictions. Bill Connolly's numbers have Oregon by 3.3 points. Uh, You translate that to a score, and it's 31 to 27. The Trojans only have a 42% win probability in this game. The spread, according to the Action Network's consensus, is the Ducks by 4.5 points. As of Wednesday night when we're recording this, Alicia, give us your prediction. I have USC losing to Oregon 34 to 29. I think that USC's offense is going to put up a lot of yards, but they're going to make one or two critical errors that take touchdowns off the board. And I think that USC's defense is going to give up. They're going to be what they what they are and what they are on the bad scale of, of what they are. 
against a, a, a potent offense is 34 points, I think. So uh, USC won't cover, but it'll be close and it'll be frustrating as all hell. And a missed opportunity. This 34-29, is it 34-23 late in the game and SC is trying to uh, score a touchdown and then they don't get the two-point conversion to make it 34-31? Is that how the 29 happens? I think that's exactly how it happens, yes. I think USC scores last in this game. You you just wanted to put the 29. I just wanted to put the 29. This is true. There are no (laughs) rhyme or reason for the numbers that I choose. But I do think that it's a good question in terms of I think USC will be the last one to score, but I think this game will play out a little bit like the Notre Dame game in that USC makes it close, but not like onside kick, hope of winning kind of situation. All right. SC wins this game 38-30. Oof. You're confident. Again, what do we know about this team? They play well at home. Uh, They rebound after poor performances. They, uh, when you think they're out, they, they, they pull me back in. Right. Uh, they they, they are play... insistent upon leaving us in purgatory forever and ever and ever. Yes. Yes. So it would the USA thing to do is to struggle against Colorado, make you really mad and string you right back with a good performance against Oregon at home. Not to mention, I think Oregon is due for a loss. As the solid verbal guys would say, Oregon might be an LRO team. Luck, run, luck runs out. Two close games in a row back to back. Which means one of two things for me. Either Oregon wins big because they fix their problems that they, that they had, and I don't see that happening at the Coliseum. If this was in Eugene, that certainly would be on the table, but I don't think SC wins. I don't think SC gets blown out at home. Or the other option is that they just lose because they they should have lost the last two weeks and didn't. So I think they lose. USC wins 38-30. I think that's a reasonable perspective on the game, even if it's... Uh, if it's an optimistic perspective because here's my here's my biggest hang up about predicting an Oregon loss here in order for Oregon to lose USC has to beat them sure yeah and i agree that USC at the coliseum is a different animal but USC is still who we thought they were and that means mistakes absolutely yeah so totally 100%. Uh, whoever makes the most mistakes will be the one who loses this game. And I cannot predict that USC won't be the one who makes the most mistakes. That is completely fair. I, I, I do not disagree with that sentiment at all. Uh, the, the way I look at it, this defense is what we, we know them to be. They are going to give up 200 mm-hmm. yards plus on the, on the ground. They're not going to look good. They're going to still somehow hold Oregon to 30 points. USC's offense, I think, is what they are. They're an offense that, and for parts of this game, they're going to look like they could score 50 points. And for other parts of this game, you're going to wonder how they score 14. And they're going to be left in a situation where they're in the mid-30s, thinking woulda, coulda, shoulda. But I think that the, there's enough firepower to withstand the woulda, coulda, shouldas, plus Oregon being held to field goals to, to be limited to 30 points uh, that ends up having USC win. The, the other thing you can you can look at it here. 38-30, you know what that means? If it if it plays out true, just touchdowns and field goals, it means both teams have six scoring drives. Six. I think that's, that's more than reasonable. If you said that both teams would have about the same number of scoring drives, I would say, yeah, that seems right. Who finishes off those drives and who doesn't? USC's defense makes no sense, but they somehow hold teams to field goals. The, uh, this is true. It, it, it makes no true. sense. Like You look at the numbers, it, doesn't. it makes no sense. But they somehow do it. So, that's what I got. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, so take a quick break and go to the mailbag, and we'll come right back. 
You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, these questions might feel familiar to you because we've already done these questions. Mm. Let's talk about Tuesday night's recording, which went up Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most frustrating things of all time, because we recorded, we had a funny little bit at the end of the episode. It was beautiful. It was so good. Should we tell the people what it was or should we just like leave it lingering? Maybe save it for the next time it happens and then we can sort of like bring it back. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. The point is uh, the, the audio was synced very funnily. It took me forever. I was up until like freaking 4 a.m. trying to get the, the audio right because for some reason your audio track was 30 seconds longer than mine. And it's not like mine glitched for 30 seconds and it was like one spot where the audio just didn't catch up or something. No, it was like a gradual, a gradual divide of the time of of the of the tracks. So I had to literally go in there and shave off like a quarter second every freaking minute for the whole entire episode. And it was very frustrating. I was up until four a.m. and then I wake up at seven thirty this morning to try to put it all together after three hours of sleep and. Computer crashes. Because that's what computers do. Yes. And in the recovery of the episode through Audacity's auto recovery system, which is admittedly amazing, we lost the last 20 minutes of your audio. My audio was there, but your audio was was, was gone. And we couldn't just have me uh, because we've established that no one listens to the podcast for me. (laughs) They listen for you because they hate me and I'm utterly trash and I need to get the hell over myself. So, we cut out the last 20 minutes. Those last 20 minutes were us talking about these questions that we're going to talk about in the mailbag. Uh, and then uh, the little bit that we had that we're not telling you what it is. So You could have left it in and it could have been some sort of like avant-garde podcast piece, one-sided conversations. Our, our friends over at the uh, Podcast of Champions got unsynced once and <laughs> Ryan was way ahead of Dave. And it was like the the most surreal thing ever because they were so out of sync that they were almost talking over each other and there'd be like 30 seconds of nothing. And then Ryan would talk and then Dave would talk like five seconds later and they would talk over each other and then no talk. It was beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, Let's go to a voicemail we got from Bob. Hi, guys. It's Bob from Orange County. And and I I just had to share with you one little thing. in regards to my reaction to that win on Friday night against Colorado. And um, I don't know what was going on in my head, but I just started laughing uncontrollably, just in hysterical laughter. I couldn't stop laughing. And I laughed so hard, I started crying. And I don't understand my reaction. And I thought maybe you, you guys could help me decipher my reaction to that game. I don't know what to think about it anymore. Anyways, that's all I had to share. I don't know what to think. Anyways, hey, fight on. Beat the Ducks. Love your show. Look forward to this week's episodes. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for the call, Bob. I gotta say, this time around, listening to that voicemail, it really hit like... The vibe of just the way he trailed off in the, I don't, I don't know what, 
like like Bob just called into the rant line and and had like an existential crisis that is very very relatable to me. Yep, very stream of conscious. <laughs> because Bob, Bob, I, f- I feel you. The the urge to just laugh until you feel like crying is what this team does to you because they are medium and they are so predictable and unpredictable and stupid. And the only sane response sometimes, rather than pulling your hair out and doing something negative, is just to laugh at the ridiculousness of this entire ordeal. Because if you can't laugh, then, then, you know, the the other coping mechanisms are far less healthy. Especially if you're stuck on the whole Groundhog Day thing that USC has, which Alicia, you and I have, in going through these voicemails and emails again <laughs> just like we did yesterday uh but uh yeah i we, we we talked about it the in the original time and i don't want to keep mentioning that but uh i i think it's it i don't want to say enjoyable but it's you get to a point sometimes where you get where you do just break down and laugh because you have n- no other thoughts about anything and to me like you had that in the, the Utah game. I had it a little bit in the Utah game too this year. Oh, I was I was laughing my butt off the entire Utah the, game. It was the game glorious. made no sense. It made it was no beautiful. sense at all. Yeah, uh, I had that same thought. Um, the Washington State game in 2013, especially coming after the Hawaii game, which was brutal, and coming after the Sun Bowl, which was god awful. It's like at, at at this point, all you can do is laugh. You know what the the it's the personification of the Jaguars fan, that that uh, great yep. gif where he's he is laughing and just sort of like holding his hand out to like indicate like what is going on and he's just like laughing and looking around going like that that whole just despair of what 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 even what even and and that's that's one of my favorite ones and that pretty much sums up. Everything around USC. Yeah, that was me after we traded Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dark day for Jag fans. Still, still kills me. Still kills still me. still got the mustache. Uh, Alicia. <sighs> You're not a Minshew? You're not a Minshew person? Miles Jack's knee was not down. I don't think you understand this. We should have beaten the damn Patriots. I, I don't understand it. You know, Today you know I learned happened? that Miles Jacks is still in the NFL. So, Miles Jack, not Miles Jacks. Miles Jack, whatever. Miles Jack, not Miles Jacks. <laughs> yeah, but there's a cereal called Apple Jacks, which is very good. Uh, mm. Let's get an email from Andrew. I read your your article on Keaton Michael. Uh, if someone forced you to make the decision today, regardless of a coach slash system, we don't know that we might have in 2020. Would you keep him as a starter and put JT second? When he heals, what say you, Alicia? Andrew has a bunch of questions here, so we're just going to take it bit by bit. Uh, At this stage, uh, I think at this stage in the last version of this recording, I waxed poetic about Keaton Slovis. I am prepared to do so again. Uh, I've spent most of my day waxing poetic about Keaton Slovis to the point where I'm probably overdoing it. (laughs) But uh, but no, I, I think that Keaton has shown us a ton of 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 the stuff that he's got and we talk about it factor and I talk about unflappability and understanding of, of the game, ability to read the defense, ability to learn from mistakes, ability to not get down from mistakes, 
ability to navigate uh, a pocket really well, to scramble when he needs to scramble. Obviously, we want to work on that ball security a little bit more, but still that that willingness and ability to scramble is 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 important. Um, the ability to extend a play, to let his receivers get open, to be patient. All of those things are extremely, extremely encouraging from Keaton. Now, he's still got four games and more this season to prove to us what his level is, if maybe he'll level out from here, from the high that he's on right now, I think, in the last couple of weeks of, of performances as far as that's concerned. But I think that right now, Keaton is well ahead of where JT was. And it's unfortunate for JT because we didn't get to see what he might have looked like in this offense, in a more quarterback-friendly offense. We we haven't gotten to see where he might be, uh, you know, a, a, another half a season into his development. So it's definitely unfortunate to JT but for now, my money is on, on Keaton being the future for USC. Now, having said that, whether or not you have a, a new coach or the same coaches or whatever, I think if Graham Harrell's still your offensive coordinator, you're pretty well certain that Keaton Slovis is your guy at this point. But if you're looking at a new coach, new system, anything like that, you go in with an open quarterback competition, no question. But you also go in with that open quarterback competition knowing that Keaton has a, a track record that thus far is pretty impeccable. Yeah, I think you have to have an open quarterback competition just to give JT a shot to, to come back and not completely just Wally Pip him. But at the same point, I, I think that if you were putting money on it, I think you'd have to put money on Keaton Slovis right now. Uh, just because he's played so well and he is a year younger uh, and he is going to be in a position to just get better and better and better and better and better and develop. And JT, unfortunately, hasn't been able to develop this year because he's hurt. He's not practicing. So I, I JT could absolutely come in and win the job again. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked by that, um, but I just, I just wouldn't bet on it. But I, I'd absolutely give, give him a shot to do it. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that if you're Keaton Slovis, who came to USC as a three-star when... JT Daniels was here. He signed even though Bryce Young was co- was committed. He's not scared of competition either. So that would be fine with him. So I, th- I think that's what you kind of have to do going forward, no matter who the coach or scheme or whatever it is. Uh, in the same vein, Andrew says, do you think a new AD should look for a coach who is compatible with this new system to build on the changes rather than start from scratch again? Um, I I think that... If the new AD is looking for a new coach, they should base that decision based on who the best possible coach is, not what system they're running or uh, how they would vibe with the things that USC is already doing. Um, we, we've talked, you know, the, what USC is doing is not necessarily foreign to what most college programs out there are doing. It's not like USC is running a triple option and that they couldn't bend whatever stuff that they're working on that that they've been they've scheme wise that they've the players have all learned this year it's not like it's incompatible with anything that someone else might bring in so i wouldn't worry about the system first and foremost you find the best head coach who will put you in the best position to win a national title whatever system you build on from there you go from there but i don't think that's part of the equation when you're looking at a head coach yeah, I think there are some systems you might want more than others. You, you don't want to, as good as Ken Nemantololo is, I don't think you need to go out and hire him because he runs a triple option. Um, but yeah, I don't think a system should be the the reason that you hire someone 
And I don't think you need to go out and hire someone who runs an air raid just because SC is having success with an air raid this year. I don't think so. Uh, secondly, uh, if to change the question a little bit about, let's say the, the, the question here is, do you keep Graham Harrell? I, I think that, that you, what you do is you, you, you have this new coach hypothetically who, who comes in needs to absolutely have an offensive coordinator that fits his, what he wants to do. I just look back at, at UCLA when, when they had Norm Chow and they told him to go run a pistol. Like, why, why are you trying to use a, a, a Buick to go pick up lumber from, from Home Depot? You know, like, that's <laughs> not what it's for. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, find somebody who is a good coach and then find an offensive coordinator that it deploys whatever that good coach's scheme is. That that's the that's the simplicity of it. Uh, Andrew finishes up his email by saying, "Finally, you were debating during the car cash whether you not, whether or not you trusted SC to fire Clay Helton or not. I think Helton is as good as fired. A new AD will likely have zero SC connections and will have a golden opportunity to win over the fan base on day one by booting Helton. It's an easy win." Why would they squander that golden opportunity? Why piss off any, everyone in your first few weeks on the job when you don't have to? Even a New Year's Six Bowl uh, would be reason enough to fire him. I trust the new guy slash gal will get that Andrew in Mexico. Yeah, I, I wish that I had that kind of confidence. Um, I know that lack of USC connections is something that we all hope for from the new AD, but you have to realize that lack of USC connections means that the new AD might might be somebody who's on the outside looking in going, why does everyone not like Helton? What what are their problems with him? And my concern is, you know, if he gets USC to, to New Year's Six Bowl, objectively, objectively, Clay Helton's record at USC is outstanding for the first four years. One year where he wasn't bowl eligible, which was absolutely unacceptable. But the other three years, if you get to a New Year's Six Bowl, that means that you've won a Rose Bowl, you've won an, a Pac-12 title game and presumably have won another Pac-12 to get to that New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, objectively, that's extremely successful as far as the tenure goes. Now, I am not arguing for Clay Hilton being kept. I think that USC needs to move on, find a head coach who can win you a national title. I'm done with this purgatory. I want nothing more of it. Uh, Clay Hilton has done uh, an acceptable job, but acceptable isn't good enough for USC. You need to have somebody who has the chops to bring USC up to the next level and Clay Helton will continue to be in this Groundhog's Day where he's, you know, capable of nine and three, but nothing more. So like I can look at it, look at it from that perspective, but I wouldn't necessarily blame someone on the outside stepping in, taking one look at Clay Helton's buyout, taking one look at the situation that they have to deal with with everything else going on in the athletic department. There are a lot of other things in the athletic department that need their attention and maybe considering with Clay Helton's resume, his record, his buyout, maybe this isn't the time to deal with the football program. Maybe this isn't the time to drum up something where we're firing a head coach who just went to a new year six, new year six game. I, I disagree just like I disagreed last year with Lynn Swan's reasons for keeping Clay Helton, but I articulated before it ever happened that this is what could happen and look at what happened with, with Lynn Swan. So 
I think they're, I'm not saying it's it's certain. I think the odds still remain that Clay Hilton won't be the head coach in the, when, when all is said and done. But I can certainly imagine a scenario where the AD doesn't see it as, I'm going to piss everybody off by keeping Clay Hilton. The AD could very well see it as Clay Hilton has earned a fifth year in charge because of what his record says it is. Yeah, I get everything you're saying. You're not saying anything wrong. At the same point, I think that if the idea is that Clay Helton goes to, first of all, I I, I mentioned in yesterday's episode that I, my mindset is the season will end good for USC. Either SC wins the Rose Bowl or Clay Helton gets fired. And if you're a USC fan, you probably want both, right? So just just based on the the questions that we get, the 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 things we see on Twitter, like that's where USC fans are, right? That's just where they are. And so win a Rose Bowl and stay and completely validate yourself, absolutely, or mm, that's it. And so um, I, you, you talk about like going to New Year's Six Bowl and losing about whether or not that, that would be fireable. And, and, and you know, the, the idea of, you know, doing the Cotton Bowl again. Do you remember how that Cotton Bowl went? SC should have won that game, or at least should have gotten much closer to that game, given how it played out. And I know that it feels like a blowout, and if you don't remember it, maybe you just think of it as a blowout. Go look at the numbers. SC outgained them. Uh, SC completely shut down Ohio State's offense. Uh, SC should have put points on the board. They did not because they got a completely outmanned and outgunned on the offensive line. Uh, and they, they had no answer. And, and there was poor coaching. They weren't prepared. All that kind of stuff. Squandered an opportunity in which SC absolutely could have won the game. If that happens again, that's a fireable offense based on everything else that we've ever talked about about this 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 team. Based on the repetition of how often that stuff happens. So I... I I get the point you're making, but again, I don't. I don't think USC is hiring an AD to sit on their hands, and so I think an AD coming in here and let's just say SC goes to the Rose Bowl and gets the barn doors blown off by Penn State. You're, you're going to tell me that that's when you spend the well, rah 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 rah, you know, blah blah blah, and you know they, they've they've who was won a head, all these. Name me a head coach who was fired after winning the conference. I'm sure I could if I looked it up. And I, I well, get what you're saying. Look, I get what look you're it saying, up and, I, and tell me, because I cannot think of a head coach who was fired after winning the conference. I, I mean, which first, going to the Rose Bowl implies that USC has won the Pac-12. Todd Graham got fired the year he should have won Pac-12 Coach of the Year two years ago. So, like, I, I know that's not the same example, and he, he, he didn't, didn't win the Rose Bowl, and he didn't, didn't win go to the South. Bowl. He yeah. never I, won the I, Rose no, Bowl. He never won the that. conference. Like I, I, I understand everything I get, you're saying. I get what you're saying. I totally agree with your saying in substance. I'm just saying that take off your USC hat, or your USC glasses, where you're in this, and look objectively at Clay Hilton's record. Take all of the performances, all the crap that we've had to deal with. Look objectively at Clay Hilton's record, and if he wins the Pac-12 this year. You're going to tell me it's it's fair that that a fair person could look at that resume and say he deserves to be fired. I mean, my general thoughts is that SC goes to the Rose Bowl or Clay Helton gets fired. But I, I, I say the win SC wins the Rose Bowl or Clay Helton gets fired more more confidently because I can absolutely see a, a, a way SC stumbles and mumbles their way 
to winning the conference because this is the Pac-12 and teams will do that. Uh, and then they get the bar- the barn doors blown off, like I mentioned. Like, that's yeah, but there's the also a, there's the also difference. a scenario where USC goes to the Rose Bowl and doesn't get the barn doors blown right. off and, and still at loses. That point, then you obviously wouldn't fire him. Well, but this like, again, like the, this it's is the context point. of how that game goes, right? Like, right. And, but and this even is if, a, the wild hypothetical at this point. But I, I'm just. I, I, the, the hypotheticals are very difficult, and that's the problem: is that there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen. I just think that people are blinded by their desire. I am too at times by the desire to see USC move on. I just don't think it's as easy as those of us who are not the ones who actually have to pull the trigger and write the check to do all the buyouts for all the coaching staff and all of this, that, and the other thing. Like, I think it's easier for us to make that call than it would be for an AD who actually has to have the financial ramifications Come to come to roost on it. I I just think it's more complex. I, I, I than just that. keep going back to, they got rid of Lin Swan. They forced him to resign. Why did they do that? Because Lin Swan was clearly not. It was not Carol Fultz's person. Yeah, and he was not performing well as, as an as an AD. And but so, he, but he wasn't Carol Fultz's person, and that, that apparently too. his actions after her installation were not. But uh, d- yeah, didn't all raise the, a lot all, of all of those things, right? So, but just to, to I, come back around, if Clay you, Helton you, wins the conference, then did you, he not do his job? You don't hire an AD to sit on their hands. That's not what this is. You hi- not you're not hiring is. an AD just to make the football decision. I I agree with that, but th- that that's the big one. That's the big. This is USA. That's the big one. Yeah, but if you're the AD, you don't have to make that decision in the year that your head coach wins the Pac-12. You don't have to. I, again, it, the, the, should, the context I would matters hope, here. I would hope that whatever AD USC hires has the stones to say, screw it, I'm, we're starting from scratch, here's my guy. I would hope that whoever they hire has the, is brave enough to do that. But this is USC, and I, USC needs to earn back my trust in that regard, that anyone that they put in it will be brave enough to make the right decision. And... Frankly, USC has made a lot of the wrong decisions too often for me to suddenly turn around and say, like, this time they're going to get it right, guys. Like, I don't know if they're going to get it right. They haven't proven I, that to I, me yet. I'm going to revise my stance. Either USC plays well in a Rose Bowl or competes in a Rose Bowl and you would be proud of their effort in that Rose Bowl or Clay Allen gets fired. See, I don't think that's the equation. Well, that's where I'm going. <laughs> I, I wish that were the equation. I don't think that's the point. Let's get our voicemail from Michael and Boise. Hey, guys, this is Michael and Boise. Um, first off, my prayers and um, thoughts with uh, any of the Trojan family and you know, others as well who are impacted by the, uh, by the fires that are going on. I grew up in Southern California, and I remember um, those times when the fires would be going nuts. Secondly, I didn't get to hear the game last night, so I'm happy that we were able to take care of business. Um, I would expect that we should be taking care of business, so I don't know if any props are particularly deserved. You guys would know better than I, and I'll listen for the podcast on that. Thirdly, I just thought you'd find this interesting. There was a um, Texas podcaster, um, I don't remember which school, but anyway, he called. He said there was a uh, Southern California player from uh, Mater D High School uh, which I thought was interesting, and it was raised to mind. I wonder if when he's uh, finished with his college career, if he's going to want to join the Kansas City Chefs. That's it. Have a good one. God bless. Bye-bye. It's That's so still good. funny. <laughs> it's still funny. It's still great. 
We had a good it. laugh over that uh, on Tuesday and uh, <laughs> Mater D and uh, the chefs love it. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I do love it. Uh, the uh, how about the San Francisco knifers? <laughs> no, that doesn't work, does it? No, no, not quite. It's probably really bad too. I should just delete. This is why I need to get off the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. And uh, that's why uh, Michael from Idaho is my favorite caller. Mm, good name. Good name, by the way. Yeah. yeah. A lot of good names in the Rotbot community. There, a lot of, there are a lot, a lot of, Michaels. of Michaels. Yeah, a lot of Michaels. Um, we have good names in the Pick'em League. A lot of Daves. Like, a lot of Daves. A lot scantily clad peristyle. We have names Still like an that. Alzheimer. Good name, by the way. Good name. A lot of good names around the, these Robots. Yep. Gotta yeah. say. Well, they're, that's because the Robots are the best. Which means we're going to name this episode the USC versus Oregon preview. And it's going to end right now with you giving us the final word. The final word is kickstart. As in, I may have to have another kickstart to complete the podcasting duties that we have planned tonight. You are not on three hours of sleep, miss. Uh, it's not a competition, Michael. As I always say, it's not a competition. Three hours of sleep. I just need more sleep than you. Editing your voice. Yeah. Congratulations. I had to listen to you all <laughs> night talking to me in my ears. You're, you're the one who always talks about my golden pipes, so... Oh, it's a great voice. I like. I love your voice, but I don't need to hear it like until four a.m. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I uh, will catch you guys later. USC and Oregon uh, on Saturday, five p.m. on Big Fox. We'll have a car cast, and we'll see if Elise is in meltdown mode or what. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but until then, we will see you. See you. See you. See you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.